Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. This episode of Mixmasters features Brian Campbell, the masterful engineer who currently works with Breaking Benjamin. In addition to his current gig with Breaking Benjamin, Brian has worked with bands that include Taproot, In This Moment, We Came as Romans, Of Mice and Men, and countless others. When he's not touring, he works at the House of Blues Houston as an audio engineer. It was an absolute joy to talk with Brian and to learn about his history, his touring experiences, his mixing approach, and his incredible Midas Pro system that he most recently used with Breaking Benjamin. I hope you'll enjoy this episode even if it is a bit longer than most others. I got so wrapped up talking with Brian that I lost track of time. So let's dive in and learn all about Brian Campbell. Hey, Brian, uh, it is my pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join me. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, hey, I I can't tell you how excited I am to have you as a guest on this show. Um, you're pretty legendary, and you've worked with a lot of my favorite bands, so this is a very selfish podcast for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll try not to gush too much, and if I do, you know, just give me a virtual slap through the screen. Tell me to move on. <laughs> So I'm a huge fan of yours and the bands that you work with, but honestly, I really don't know too much about you. So I'd like to take a couple of minutes and learn a little bit about how you got started in music. Um, Are you a musician originally? And if so, what instrument did you play? Can you just take us back to the early years of Brian and tell us how you got interested in music? (laughs) Um, Yeah, man, I was a musician, um, kind of a jack of all trades, master and none, you know, started out on guitar, young, junior high school um playing in bands junior high school doing the whole cover band thing green day nirvana you know inner sandman at the time you know um that led into bands in high school you know and um got a little bit better then we started playing out the local pizzeria you know the local bowling alley and all that stuff uh and uh during that time is kind of when i started jumping into audio like you know every band needs a pa you know, so I was the dude that went down and got the PA at the garage sale, you know, and it was a Frankenstein rig. It was a couple dual 15 PVs with, you know, like Celestian 18 inch subs, I think they were, and some like Sun 8 channel, like guitar head looking rat powered mixer, you know what I mean? Covered like, in rat fur. I know exactly yeah, what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, uh, um, yeah. And, and, you know, by no means did I know what I was doing. I was just doing what everybody tries to do back then. And that's just make it loud and sound like Pantera, right? Like that's, that's what we all tried to do. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of where I started, you know, the love of it is those gigging and then, you know, doing the demos and just watching the engineer, you know, going like, hmm, you know, like, all right, that's ADAT. Okay, I get it. You know, okay, this, oh, that's a compressor. All right, you know, and I'm just trying to make sense of it all, but kind of just 
filling in the the blank spots myself and really not asking the right questions yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, eventually when I was 20 years old, I moved down to Los Angeles, uh, a friend, actually a group of friends in the local scene. Um, they had moved down to LA years prior and, uh, they're a band called Depswa and they were signed on to Geffen records and they were just getting ready to do their first album. And, uh, um, uh, you know, they had their tour manager, front of house guy, this guy, Chuck Redu, who also worked for Steinberg at the time. So he's the dude that helped me build my first computer. He's the dude that got me on the window for the first time. Um, at the same time, one of the guys in the band, Jeremy Pinnock, he took him under his wing as well. You know what I mean? And Jeremy was way more advanced than I was, you know what I mean? But still just learning from both of those guys, that's when I started to make sense of what eq and compression and you know dynamics in general just did you know what i mean oh, and yeah. like everyone i just stumbled through it man made a bunch of shitty demos for some bands you know um had this dream about you know you know ending up in a recording studio at some point in my life you know while i was you know doing the band thing and uh you know um i was what when i made the transition i think i was 27 years old to and live working yeah to live um wow. so to working i guess as a tech yeah um but uh i was 27 ish and uh you know uh taproot was the band and i had met them years previous through that band depth squad they had been they had done a tour with them and uh i be fr became friends with a couple of the guys and stayed in touch with them and i can't remember if phil called me or if i called him but the bass player phil and i ended up talking one day and he was like hey man we're looking for a guitar tech you know, and I was like, yeah, man, sign me up. Let's do it. You know, and it was for like $300 a week and like, you know, $10, $20 a day, whatever it was per diem, sleeping on a van floor, you know, doing the whole thing. And like I said, I started out with a, as a guitar tech for them. And uh, through touring, I made connections with a band called Cold. And uh, I started doing backline tech for them as well. Uh, so backline tech is really in those first couple years how I got started. But the real connection was with uh, John Tanner, who was doing sound for Taproot most of the time back then. And then Matt Trevino, who was doing sound for Cold, who is now doing sound for Sum 41. Um, but those two guys early on let me ask all the dumb questions about, here's what I know in computer audio world how does that work with this analog desk, you know, and they're the guys that taught me the patching and the different effects units and how to use the different dynamic units, you know, and then, you know, really what you're looking for as far as like, you know, mixing a room and, you know, again, like I was just starting out. So I was just trying to make things loud. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it won't be loud enough. It's never loud enough. <laughs> but uh, um, but they helped me make sense of it, you know. And a uh, couple years after working for Taproot, maybe not a couple years, maybe like a year, year and a half, uh, John um, ended up deciding to just be, a, you know, staying at home, doing his house gig at the machine shop there in Flint. And, uh, um, you know, um, I took over as front of house guy for Taproot. And I was a huge fan of Taproot. Yeah. You know, and uh, getting to mix, getting to work for them, period, was amazing. But then getting to mix them 
you know, especially not knowing shit, <laughs> yeah. you know, what was awesome. And I worked for them for a few years and that's where, you know, I broke my teeth on every shitty 300 to 500 cap like room in America, you know, on every assortment of box and PA and piece of equipment, you know, I'm sure you've run into and you can imagine, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Um, that's you- how I got started. And then from there, you know, just worked my ass off and ended up jumping bands, you know, and uh, um, went on to In This Moment for a bit. And we came as Romans for a bit, did some time with Memphis May Fire and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what year uh what year were you doing um the, what year did you make the transition to front of house with taproot <sighs> i want to say i was 28 years old so okay. i'd probably been with them like i said for like a year or so at the time yeah. so that's like 2010 20 2009 2008 somewhere in there 2008 yeah. yeah 2008 yeah and you were on analog at that point yeah, man. I, I think the first digital desk I ran into was an M7 or an LS9, you know. Um, but back then, you know, in those 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 300, 500 cap venues, there were no M32s or X32s yeah. or any of that stuff. So it was, you know, concert du jour, like, uh, you know, Max, Mackie 16 channel, like, you know, you name it, we ran into it, you know, and half yeah. the time it didn't work, <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's, it, you know, like I really had to figure things out, yeah. you know, and that I, I, that that's where I learned the most Wow. Like during that time was just like, you know, and I'm, I shouldn't say learn the most, but that's where it all made sense. You was, know what I mean? Was there a breakthrough moment for you or something that you discovered in those earlier days that, uh, you know, like you said, you broke your teeth and you worked on the, all these really crummy venues on, horrible systems but was there something that all of a sudden you discovered and you were like oh man this is this is what i've been looking for it made you know made your mix cleaner or you know made everything made made more sense um man i guess the only thing i can think of off the top of my head is just learning how to mix a room you know no matter what you're going to do you're not going to cram everything you want to the pa when you're mixing those size venues yeah so i needed to learn how to mix okay there's guitar cabinets on stage you know, I, I can use that in the mix. I don't need to necessarily put it all the way in the mix so that it sounds in my headphones like a CD, you know, in those size venues. It's it's what it sounds like when you're standing in the room and, you know, your perception there. Oh, yeah. So that, that I think once I learned that, things started to fall in place. And then as the venues get bigger and bigger, you're able to go back more and more to the, you know, all right, it sounds good in my cans. It should translate here, you know. What do you do when it doesn't? Because <laughs> <laughs> I need to know that answer. I mean, that's a selfish oh, question. <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess half the time it doesn't. I know. Um, oh, man, I still struggle. You know, I think I, I'm never the person that's that's happy with what I've mixed. You know, like I am my own worst critic. Um, you know, I will walk away from a show getting pats on the back, you know, from everyone else kicking rocks though and my by myself going like what in the hell was that you know like why am people allow me to even mix them <laughs> you know what i mean so i i i i i still do that to this day and i think the day i stop doing that is the day that i need to stop mixing because yeah. you know like i need to be better i have that drive to be better you know what i mean yeah it's a good it's a good fault to have uh and i everybody who listens to the podcast knows i like to beat up myself and a lot of times it's warranted but i'm in the same boat like 
I'm never happy with my mix. So that's why I had to ask the question, you know, what do you do when you're listening in your headphones and you're like, oh, I'm nailing it. And then you take them off and you're like, oh, I suck. It's time to go yeah. home. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm still the guy every day, you know, um, I'll go back and I will, uh, I will listen to this, the show the night before. And I have a list of things in my head. It's like, all right, this didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. You know, and I will do that every show all the way through a tour. Like at no point am I like, yeah, man, this is good. I can just show up and turn on the desk and unmute and I'm good. You yeah. know, like I'm, I'm never there. Yeah. Like I'm always taking mental notes and I'm, there's always something I don't like, you know? Have you been, you've been, obviously you're multi-tracking a lot of your stuff. Um, when did you really start multi-tracking? Um, man, it was, you know, working for bands with budgets that aren't, you know, quite there yet. It, it, it varies. And, you know, equipment over the last, especially the last five years has made it easier to like multi-track. Oh yeah. So, you know, like back in the, I didn't do any multi-tracking in the taproot days or in this moment days, I didn't really have the equipment to do so. Um, I guess when I started working for Romans, uh, we came as Romans, they, uh, they bought a pro one and, uh, you know, we bought one of Jim Rose's RPM TB248s. So I was, you know, doing, starting to do plugins off of that as well as recording the show. Gotcha. And that's, that's kind of when it started. And then, you know, from there, it just depended on the band I worked with. You know, if the budget was there to take out, you know, the proper equipment, then for sure I was going to be tracking. You know what I mean? But I would say solid for the last five years, four years, I've been tracking every show. It makes yeah. such a huge difference. It's something that um, I've been rehearsing with multi-tracks now during this downtime, but I've, ne I've never used multi-tracks ever, you know, before I met up with Stitched Up Heart and all of a sudden I, it's like that was the, in the, in the light bulb moment for me was getting to work with multi-tracks and it changes everything, right? Oh, like being able to go back and dissect everything is, yeah. it's a game changer, yeah. you know? Yeah, it definitely it, is. Yeah. And like you said, it's it's almost free to do it these days. You know, like people, if you're not doing I've said this on other podcasts, but if you're not multi-tracking, do it. <laughs> right. You know. You're messing up. If you're not doing it, you're 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 missing a big opportunity to, you know, make your clients sound better as well as make yourself better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so your resume, uh, I meant I alluded to it a little bit before, but it's pretty awesome. You've got in this moment, you've got Taproot, you've got King 810, you've got We Came as Romans, Of Mice and Men, uh, Breaking Benjamin, uh, and others I'm sure that I'm missing. But how did yeah. you, so you started out with Taproot and you were you were teching and then you took over the front of house position mm -hmm. and then you got involved with In This Moment and some, but how did you, it seems like you didn't just take steps, you took like monumental leaps every time. How What, what was your secret for getting such bigger and better gigs with every step you took? Um, networking, yeah. I guess. Um, you know, like I, I, I know a lot of people in our industry that jump from band to band and I, I really didn't do that. Like I was with Taproot for probably four years, three or four years total when it's all said and done. Um, I was with, um, unfortunately I was only within this moment for one album cycle um, and then, uh, I, I landed the, we came as Romans gig on when in this moment was off of a cycle. And, um, those dudes are just 
some of my best friends and amazing people, man, still to this day, like I love all of them dearly. And, uh, you know, I was with that band for six, seven years. So, you know, every other band I worked for during that time was, it was one-offs, you know, like when I worked for Memphis, it, it was one-offs. It was, all right, well, we got downtime, you know, like let's, let's, uh, you got a gig coming up. Cool, man. I need to stay busy. Let's rock it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, I, uh, you know, I, man, I just stayed focused with the band and, and, you know, made connections and really, I have never gotten a job by going, Hey, here's my resume. You know, like I've gotten a job from people going like, yeah, Brian, no, dude. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, if you got people that go to bat for you like that, you know, I feel like you can make it anywhere in this world. Yeah. You know? Well, I was going to ask, but I think you answered the question. You've never used like an agent or a management company. It's just always word of mouth and, and networking and friends yeah. of friends and whatnot. This breaking Benjamin gig I have right now, man. Um, the way I got that gig was <laughs> Jeremy Jerome, the tour manager, was actually our merch merchandise manager slash learning how to tour manage for Taproot at the time. So him and I kind of started around the same time. And then um, when I first started the Breaking Benjamin, it was it was doing monitors and the production manager front of house guy that was there at the time, Mike Macri. Um, again, he was a guy that, you know, um, I had done a lot of touring with the past. And when I went on to We Came as Roman Romans and left in this moment, he was the guy that came in and did in this moment. You know what I mean? So it was, uh, you know, like both of those dudes were like just great friends. And when the gig became available, you know, it, uh, they, they brought me right into it. You know, there was no resume, there was no, you know, anything else. And then, you know, Mac eventually went on to do uh kids bop and he's making that corporate money, man. And, and, you know, he's, he's, well, until this whole coronavirus thing happened, he had a very, uh, consistent and well-paying job, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it gave me the opportunity to move into a dream role for me. You know, Breaking Benjamin is is a is a massive influential band in my, you know, my music taste. You know, it's it, they helped, you know, that that, you know, Phobia record helped, you know, like me develop as a musician. And it's 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 an album that spoke to me. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. One I had stuck in my CD player for months, you know. I I've seen them so many times live. I've probably lost count, but they come through Madison and <laughs> Milwaukee quite. I'm I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, and okay, um, yeah, my girlfriend and I we were huge fans. Uh, gosh, we I think we saw them three times in one year. In fact, <laughs> always such a good show. It's still surreal mixing them. You know, it, it really is. And you know, to 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 know them now and to be friends with all those guys, you know, it's it's like wow. Okay, yeah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the, maybe that's a good way to transition. In addition to doing that, you're also, I think you have a residency at the House of Blues in Houston as a front of house. Yeah, man. When I'm home, I can't just sit on my ass and do nothing. I'm not that dude. You know, at least I try not to be that dude. Um, so I'll go there and I'll work, you know, two, three days a week there at the House of Blues. Um, there's another production company here in Houston, a smaller production company called uh, WBS Audio Video. And uh, I'll do gigs with them as well, you know, and they're sure. doing more like uh, corporate stuff and, uh, you know, just trying to stay busy, man, I'm trying to make money and, you know, 
keep trying to learn, you know? Yeah. Um, so we, when we were on tour with Steel Panther, we played a lot of House of Blues. What's the, what's the Houston venue like? What do you guys have? What do you, what do you fly there? What's your house console and whatnot? Yeah, man. Um, we have the VI Soundcraft VI sixes, both at Monitor World in front of house. Um, love that desk. Honestly, I'm one of those guys that love that saturation from the Soundcraft and Midas desk. Um, you know, I like what that does to my mix, and I know that's something that can be debated with other people, but it's i love both those desks and honestly if the soundcraft was more roadworthy that's that'd be a desk that i would want to take out you know i think it's a great desk um but yeah we have uh vi6 at both front of house and monitors and then we have soundbridge uh boxes and wedges and everything yeah okay cool um I just was curious because the the House of Blues the the range of their systems is so diverse. Uh, we we mixed on brand new D&B in Boston and mm-hmm. you know then we were in Chicago which is a really old uh I think it's EV uh mm-hmm. you know with horrible placement and real small front of house mix position. It's just, and then, you know, Cleveland is completely different. So it's, it's interesting how they're all unique. You know what? I don't know what really goes on. Like I thought they had a deal with Harmon and I could be totally wrong here. So don't quote me on this, anybody, but I thought they had a deal with Harmon and I thought that all the venues were kind of supposed to be stocked with their products. But like even the house of blues here in Houston, uh, the smaller room, I think they're talking about putting an M32 in that room finally, you know, yeah. or just to update it to something that, you know, touring acts are going to be, you know, comfortable on yeah. and be able to use. Yeah, the M32 is one of those ubiquitous devices, you know, it's or the X32 or M32. It was sort of a game changer, and I'm sure you've mixed more than your fair share of shows on those. You know what's funny, man, is since those desks came out, like, I... You know, I've mixed more on them the last couple years doing like corporate type stuff than I ever have live. You know, I've just always been in a situation where, you know, um, at least after those desks came out where I didn't really get to mix on them much. So, you know, I'll get on them and the little menu, you know, there's I'll get lost in the pages still, you know, like with any desk, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, I just want to do this. <laughs> You sound like Alex but. now. Alex has uh, <laughs> a very uh, uh, firm opinion of certain things and uh, board layout, and uh, he wants something that's like hybrid and simple and, you know, doesn't have a computer on it. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I could mix, you know, I listened to that that episode with Alex, and he's got a great point. If I could mix a bunch of things together be a happy camper yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe deal you in uh because we were talking about starting a company where we make a reliable board that doesn't crash and you know is simple to use and so we'll uh hire you as a consultant to design yeah it. we could all be billionaires man <laughs> and we could figure that one out there you go <laughs> all right well this might be a good transition point um to talk a little bit about uh your touring and especially uh with breaking benjamin uh, first of all, because it's the most recent thing, and also because your rig with Breaking Benjamin is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I don't know of a better word to use other than ridiculousness. Uh, dude, I'm spoiled. <laughs> Our, uh, you know, the band, the band lets me have flexibility there for one. But uh, our audio provider, RPM, Jim Rose. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Jim Rose, he is the Midas Whisperer. Um, anything Midas, he's your guy, and. Uh, he put me together and our monitor guy, Josh. Um, I mean, we both have, he's from the Northeast. So 
it's dialed. The rig's <laughs> dialed. <laughs> um, wicked dialed. It's wicked dialed. <laughs> um, but uh, dude, yeah, he did. He he went above and beyond, man. Um, yeah, I'm on a Pro X, um, running a couple extreme servers, um, MGB card for that. Um, and then uh, you know, we went with the Waze, the Access One computers. Um, you know, so uh I got a couple 24 inch touchscreens on either side. One of them's running, you know, all the waves plugins, and then I'm using the 9630s into the other PC uh for my record and playback. And then on that other computer, I'm also running smart as well and lake. So I keep it simple, and that's kind of my motto with everything is you know, there are a lot of analog toys that you know I will probably start phasing in gradually but i like to keep things simple and tested you know what i mean and i don't like to be in any situations where you know uh analog gear is reliable but it isn't because there's connections you know and um you know i've seen people hunting out like an issue and it ends up being just a bad cable yeah you know what i mean and uh you know um there are some toys that i, I do want to add um you know some of the portico stuff and uh i love to get an h3000 back in the rig um but uh you know for the most part i'm gonna i'm gonna keep things simple you know i like even even with the mix even with my scene um i'm i, I try to keep things you know as straight of a path to the master as i can you know so when you're uh when you're specking out the rig uh does breaking benjamin have any input into that or do they just hand it over to you and say here's your budget put together what you want or how does that process work um, well, I walked into a situation where they were already using Midas. And as I mentioned earlier, I started with them doing monitors and, uh, you know, Ben, from what I understand, Ben really liked the Midas and he liked the app that was with it. He got it. It made sense to him. And he likes to have control over that, over that stuff himself as well. And he'll, while you're doing monitors, he will look for you and be like, Hey, you know, this, that, or the other, but at the same time, he's more than happy if he just needs a little bump in vocal because he knows what he wants. He'll go back there and just, you know, we have an iPad set up on the drum riser and he'll he'll juice it himself, you know. Wow. But the desk was already there. From what I understand, like he was stoked on everything. And me being a dude that loves Midas, like it was a perfect fit, you know. Like uh, um, as far as front of house, I mean, there was no input really like, you know, it was, it was like whatever you need, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I know they've been on pro X for a while. Uh, when I saw them like in 2015 or 2016, uh, they had pro X, uh, in, when I saw them in Milwaukee, they had that. So yeah, Mac, the guy, the guy before me, Mac was a Midas guy too. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's a big Midas advocate and, uh, he was on pro six for a long time and then pro X. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you doing with waves? Are you, uh, you running a lot of plugins on and what are you running them? What are you running through those plugins? I guess I should say. Um, you know what? I, I, I don't use a ton of waves. I have it there as a tool, but I don't rely on it, you know? And, uh, a lot of that is, is I think the Midas sounds great on its own, you know? Um, um, I know it's lacking some of the features that the Digico and the S6Ls and, and you know, um, I know you're an Allen Heath guy um, and I know it's it's lacking some of those crucial features, which I'm hoping this new heritage fixes. Um, but for me personally, 
the desk just sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially for rock bands. Um, so plugin wise, uh, I'm using plugins on buses mostly. I'm not really using on any input channels except for vocals. Yeah. Um, and then even on the buses, I'm I'm keeping it simple. You know, I might have a couple twenty five hundreds in in the in there and uh, a couple of the SSL comps on like the drum drum buses and whatnot. But pretty much, um, you know, my my layout of my desk goes uh, inputs and then. I'm not making separate groups for everything. I think on the next step for the heritage, I might jump into that more, but I'm doing a stereo drum group, uh, a stereo, uh, you know, squash group, and then a stereo cymbal group. And then, you know, groups for each guitar player and bass player, uh, groups for each vocal. And then, you know, and that's running into my master and then onto my matrixes, you know, to feed the PA. Yeah. But but even you know plug-in wise, like I'm I'm not getting too crazy. Uh, I love the Renaissance Axe on guitars. Um, you know C6, of course, is one of those things. The F6 and the C6 both, man. Those are those are the two big tools in my toolkit. You know, especially on vocals. Um, ben Ben's a great singer, but he does hold the microphone you know pretty far away, so it can thin out. So you know, being able to compress and expand and try to, you know, keep his vocal present and follow him around. Um, dude, it's crucial, you know, it's so crucial. And uh, PSE is another big thing on the vocals there, man. Um, if I didn't have, I got five microphones on stage right now and uh, um, actually six microphones on stage, um, seven, including the backup, but it's, uh, you know, I keep the two upstage mics muted for the most part, but for those four downstage mics, like PSE is a godsend, <laughs> you know, it oh, keeps yeah. it nice and quiet. What are you guys, what are you using for uh, vocal mics? Um, Telefunken M80s on everybody but Ben. Um, and we were using an 80 on Ben as well. Um, and then our monitor guy, Josh, had me try out the V7. And um, at first I was like, eh you know, it's cool. And then I was like, you know, I want to try this 81 out and went back to the 81. I was like, Whoa, okay. It was doing a little bit more than I thought it was, you know, and, uh, it's a great microphone and I've, I've learned to love it and, uh, respect what it can do. And it's, it's definitely Ben's microphone is super hot. You know, as I mentioned, he likes to sing away from his mouth and, you know, uh, at times he's not the loudest singer. So, you know, he's definitely gained up you know, and he likes to go out into the crowd. So if, if I didn't have that V7 with that PSE combo, you know, life would be, you know, pretty, pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That PSE is, I haven't had a chance to use it yet on tour. I just got it. Um, and I just upgraded to super rack. Are you, you're using super rack? I am using super rack. Yeah. Now. And, yeah. uh, are you seeing improvements with latency or are you making, are you having to make a lot of adjustments with that or how are you handling that side of things? Dude, I, I am running it at what's the lowest setting point point oh eight or something like that. And, yeah. um, I, uh, dude, I, I am still like, I think my processing is like at 18 or 19%. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I'm not, like I said, I'm not using a ton of plugins, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm using specialty tools, you know, and I'm not using, you know, like something just to make it color the tone in a specific way. Yeah. I don't 
have to use an NS1 or I'm not sorry, an S1, an NLS bus or something like that um, to, to, to try to saturate something because uh, the Midas preamps are already doing that for me. And it's, it's doing it to something that I like already, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> speaking of something that you like with that, uh, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead. Uh, are they, is Breaking Ben using modeling amplifiers? They have cabinets, a uh, little bit of both. What are they doing for their guitar tone? They're, they're all Axe Effects. Uh, Keith and Jason both made that jump uh, last year to the Axe Effects 3. Uh, ben is still on the Axe Effects 2. And I, Aaron is actually using three sources. He's using dark glass as his main source. He's also using an Axe Effects source, an Axe Effects 2. And then um, there is a... Uh, just a pre di that we use from him as well so i'm just getting the single bass tone from him cool. um so he's a mixture of things um so yeah all axe effects uh and dark glass yeah that's nice you don't have stage volume to you know deal no with and stage volume no wedges on stage i mean there's they have wedges that their guitars come out of just for themselves right and just just in an emergency if uh you know, one of them was to lose the vocal or something. We could put vocal up on stage somewhere. But the only thing that runs through those wedges on stage are light guitars. Yeah. Uh, and then the way that they tune, are you having to do anything with the PA to make sure you maintain intelligibility? Or what are you doing for uh, room tuning so you keep everything, you know, really full but not muddy? Man, um... Their tones are, are through the, all the different tunings are very consistent. Like I'd have to talk to the techs, but I don't think that they have like an A sharp tone or a C tone. Like I don't think it gets that deep with them. I think it's just the, you know, the tone. Sure. And uh, um, as far as, you know, uh, dialing it in at front of house, I, I don't really find myself having to adjust much. And you know, the band and the crew that I have on stage, everyone's, if, if I hear a patch is too loud or too quiet or something sounds different, you know, we're all friends. Like I'm able to walk up to either of my techs on stage and be like, Hey, you hear this, you know, and they're able to go like, you know, I don't, but let's, let's mess with it, you know, and it becomes a thing. And then even when, when it, when it does get, have to get brought up to the band, if we're making something that they might like a change, that they might know, like might notice, they're they're okay with it you know yeah. they're they're cool with it they're is it gonna make things better okay cool you know like yeah. it's it's such a relaxed atmosphere man there's no you know i'm not working with anybody that's just like this is the way it's gonna be and that's it <laughs> you know what i mean it's so crazy because uh i started working with stitched up heart last summer and they're the same way like like Merritt and randy you know and mixie that whatever is gonna make the show better they're all for it like there's no they're, you know, they, and it's crazy because musicians are so emotionally invested in their sound, you know, they created that stuff, but yet mm -hmm. they're willing to take that, you know, suggestion and, and never once did they say no, no way. Like they're always like, yeah, let's try it. You know, let's give it a yeah. shot. Um, Jason, one of the guitar players, he is the equipment guy. Like his rig is the most like, uh, for lack of a better word, customized, you know, like he's running through Avalon preamps and like he's doing all kinds of stuff and uh, he's constantly tweaking on his tone. And every time he gives me something, it's great. So, you yeah. know what I mean? It's, That's it's awesome. It's tweak away, man. Let's, let's make this rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Uh, how many inputs are you managing for breaking Ben? 
<laughs> um, with talkback, talkbacks, um, where it's what sixty nine channels, sixty eight oh, channels. That's that's smaller um, than I thought. Yeah, it's not much. Um, the band doesn't have play to tracks. They don't even play to a click on stage. So there is no computer. There is no you know anything on stage. It's it's them. It's rock and roll. Like there is there is. I was blown away by that too. But it's it's just rock and roll. And you know the band wants it that way. And and you'll notice you know if a couple situations you know Ben's like seen some people fighting in the crowd or something or somebody gets smashed up to a barricade. Dude, it's so rock and roll and so fluent to where it's like the band might keep jamming something out quietly or stop altogether or whatever the situation calls for. But then it's like, hey, one, two, and it's just right back into whatever part they need to be. And it's it's so refreshing to, to be mixing a band that's like that. You know, it's 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 rock and roll and not not taking away from any of those other bands that are using click because, I, you know, the benefits are obviously there, you know, but it's it's at the same time man it's so pure and it's so true and it's so refreshing you know just to give everybody an idea uh the face i made i think uh my eyes almost <laughs> fell out of my head when when you said they they weren't using click um, nah. and for those who are not familiar um so i i started in i've been in the bar band business you know for the last 25 years and small festivals and county fairs and stuff like that i never worked with a band that had click ever and then i got hooked up with stitched up heart and they use click and then you know everybody that i talk to their bands all use click and mm -hmm. so then i just assumed that everybody you know outside of the bar level is using click and then you said that and i i darn yeah, near man. lost an eyeball <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it gets deep or deep too like you know like uh you know people having effects changing off of you know time code and scenes changing off of time code i mean you know how deep it can get oh, but yeah. It's none of that, man. It's like, you know, even with automation for me, like I'm just automating the different effects I want to use. But still, even then, like it's set to the timing that's close to what the, the song is. But I, I constantly find myself going back and tapping, tapping it in just to make sure it's, it's locked in and perfect. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah. and I was going to ask you if you use any sort of automation, but you answered that question, so you're just yeah, just just the basics, you know, and and because the band is so live and so rock and roll, like you've got to be too, or I've got to be too, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's it's, and I love mixing that way, anyways. Like I, I hate you know mixing in that like restrained you know like environment, and this is just like you know make it big and awesome. So that's good. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then I think uh, with the the last tour you were on with Breaking Benjamin, you guys were direct support for Corn. Um, mm -hmm. What sort of PA were they traveling? Was it DNB or? Yeah, they had the DNB SL8s out, um, and uh, they're doing J's for the outs. Um, and uh, wow, that PA is awesome. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, it, it was it was a dream to mix on and that was actually my second full tour mixing on that pa uh years ago with the mice and men we went out with uh five finger death punch in europe and uh dmb was just starting to release that sl i actually don't think it was out because they had their dmb was visiting us every week and the systems engineer that was out there with gogo -Go audio um was giving them feedback and then every week they'd bring back you know new uh new uh software update for the system and then um 
you know, and it was all based on the notes of the SE. And, uh, you know, when the, we first started that tour, I was like, okay, you know, this is cool. But second, third week in there, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the PA is badass. Um, I've always been a big fan of L acoustics. Um, I love K2, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely becoming a huge fan of those SL boxes for sure. And, you know, I've always loved J's as well. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not super picky on PA, you know, like I'm not one of those PA snobs. Like I'll mix on VTX, Vertec, what, whatever, you uh, know, it's, it's, it's just part of the job. It's part of that day, you know, but it's nice to be in that situation now where I can choose to use K2 or SL or whatever. Yeah. I was, I was never a PA snob because I never had the opportunity to be one. And then right, I started right. mixing on the D and B, you know, J and Y and, uh, didn't get to mix on any SL, but, uh, man, once you mix on a, a system like that, you're just, it spoils you. <laughs> you can't yeah. go back to the other <laughs> stuff. Dude, it, it, it really does, you know, and you, and you hear the difference. You, you, you see what all the raves about, especially when you're on that same PA every day for three months, Yeah, you know, it's, it's, you're like, okay, cool. You know? And, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely a blessing to be in that situation now where I can even think about that kind of stuff. You have, know? You, have you mixed on any Adamson stuff like the E or the, the S? I, you know what, um, if I have, I can't recall, but, but nothing that stands out now. Yeah. We, I haven't either, um, that we were at a place in New Hampshire, I think, or Vermont. I can't remember. They had two rooms side by side and our room had Macaulay, uh, and then the room next to us had Adamson S and there happened to be like a jam band playing and I went and listened to the the PA and I was just blown away. So I was curious if you had any comparisons with the Adamson to the D and B. Yeah, you know, unfortunately I don't. And another PA like uh I've heard a lot of people bring up is the cohesion stuff. And I, I haven't got to mix on that yet. And I would I would love to give that a whirl, you know. Yeah. I um, went out to Lidditz. Um, so for people not familiar, Cohesion is a, a Claire Global PA, and Claire Global is based in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. It's this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, literally like surrounded by Amish farmlands. And <laughs> there's this huge international touring company there that is building unbelievably insane stuff. And, and they have a campus called Rock Lidditz that has a like a 200-room hotel just for like touring companies coming through to practice in the box and the box is like this mock arena that they have uh <laughs> it's a crazy place but i got to hear the cohesion system there a couple of years ago um and man what a system that is it's it's unbelievable if you get a yeah. chance to mix on it do it because it's it's amazing Dude, yeah i mean I, I would love the opportunity to um you know, and maybe one of these days it'll be a tour where we're like, all right, I'm going to try this out now. You know, it's, it's again, I'm, I'm still, I'm still getting used to having that luxury, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it's a, it's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of luxury, are you working with a system engineer for most of those shows or do you have, or are you using Korn's system engineer or how does that for, work? For, for that particular tour, you know, um, even though it was billed as a co-headliner, you know, it, it, it was Korn's tour. Corn was the headliner and um you know they hired brown note so they had one of the brown note system techs our system engineers out and uh he was great um before we were the last summer we took out ultrasound 
Um, and that was kind of a deal that was already in place before me. So we took out, um, uh, an ultrasound rig and, and it was just their SE. So I haven't gotten to a situation where I've got a guy yet, you know what I mean? Or this is the dude. Um, but luckily I've worked with some very talented people, so it's been all right. You know, it's that first couple of days of just getting used to what my expectations are and what they're, you know, going to deliver and finding that happy medium. And, you know, the better you work with those dudes, the better your day is going to be for the rest of the tour. You know what I mean? For sure. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship? So I assume that Corn's front of house engineer, you know, they, they come in, they set up, they tune. Are you able to give uh, requests to the system engineer and, and make adjustments or how does that work? Um, in that situation where you're, you're technically the direct support band, um, you're kind of more at the mercy of, of what he's going to do for corn. You know what I mean? Um, throughout the tour, he was definitely making some adjustments for me. Um, you know, as our relationship grew and, you know, like, uh, and the comfortability of everything grew, like he would definitely help me out in a little couple little places where I, he knew I needed him to help me here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that was great. Um, and any good system engineer is going to jump in and do that. They're not going to just sit on their phone and, uh, you know, worry about when the show's over and how quick they can get a loadout done. You know, they're, they're there for the show. They're there to make it the best rock show they can. And, you know, like I said, luckily every guy I've worked with so far has, has been that way. You know, even, even years before when I've been in situations where, you know, we're the opening band on the bill for a, an arena tour, you know, it's, it's, I've been in that same situation, you know, bringing up that five finger death punch tour, it was five finger death punch and flames and of mice and men opening up. And Eric from GoGo -Go audio that SE, you know, like, man, he taught me so much on that tour. It was one of the most fun tours because he, uh, he was just an amazing guy to work for, you know, and he, uh, he had Asperger's. And so he was very blunt and very direct when he would talk to you. So, you know, you had to get used to that, but then you knew his genius, you know, you knew that that guy was just on a whole nother level. So when he said something like he, he had a big thing, you know, with the pre-delay settings I was using on my vocal verbs and drum verbs. And, you know, um, he helped me understand, like, listen, you can't think about it like as a, in a studio way where you're not dealing with the whole room around that reverb, you know, that snare drum still needs to cut through the PA and then you hear that reverb. So you can use longer pre-delays than you might use in other situations or even in clubs, you know what I mean? Same with yeah. vocals. You want that vocal there on the, or you want that reverb there on the vocal, but that vocal still needs to cut, you know what I mean? So yeah. you're letting it cut and then you're adding the reverb after it, you know what I mean? That's worth the price of admission right there. That was a, yeah. that's an awesome bit to share. Thank you. Yeah, no. And, uh, it's dude, he, he, you know, it's like I said, man, I, I'm constantly like a sponge. Like I got to learn, I got to learn, I got to get better. You know what I mean? And that was a great tour because he was a plethora of information, you know? Yeah. Um, so you've got a couple of Lake processors that you have in your front house rig. How are you integrating those with the D&B system for like a corn scenario? What are, what are you doing with your Lakes before you hand it off to the system engineer? So uh, the way my Lakes are set up, um, it's, it's to be able to hit all the zones I need to in a pinch. Um, I'm still throwing him left, right, sub fill. But if I needed to, if I was in a situation where I needed to be the SE 
and I needed to hit left, right sub as well as, you know, balcony fills or what have you, you know what I mean? I have the, the capability to do so. So in a situation like uh, where you've got an SE and stuff, like honestly, I'm just mainly using the EQ of it. You know, I'm not really getting into any of the, you know, other features of it um, other than just, it's, you know, we both know Lake's got a sweet EQ and you can really get in there and you can add a ton of filters if you need to, right? which you shouldn't have to, but if you need to, you can really get in there and not totally destroy you know, the audio quality, yeah. you know, but yet get what you get to where you need to be. Are you doing most of your EQ in the lake or are you, so your left, right out of the Midas, is that fairly flat or are you applying EQ yes. in both places? So my left, right sub fills are all off of matrixes. Um, and I don't do any EQing there, but I haven't EQ inserted there in case I need to grab something real quick. Um, it's a quick, easy way, like up, two fives taken off or I'm hearing something a little harsh. Like I don't want to fish around on this. I want to keep my eyes forward. You know, like I will keep that up on the right screen of, uh, of the pro X and I will definitely, by the end of the show, you might see me go in there and make a couple like, you know, cuts, but at the beginning of the day, um, you know, I'm EQing all in the lake and uh, I used to do, I still will do music to EQ2 every once in a while, but I really, really try to keep it just to my playback from the night before. I mean, it's, 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 it's what I'm mixing that night, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's the exact representation of what I need it to be, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I will EQ there. Um, if I haven't heard the room yet, I guess like, uh, I production manage as well. So if I get pulled away and I didn't really hear the SE, like kind of run through his selection of tunes, like I might play a couple songs and kind of just walk around the room real quick and, uh, you know, kind of see what the room's doing and kind of see what's, uh, what's going on that day, you know, but what are you listening um, for in that scenario? So like when you're, you know, if you're playing music through the PA and you're walking the room with the SE, what are you really <laughs> focusing on and, and trying to make sure that you, you know, address or correct or emphasize? What are what are the areas that you're trying to listen um, to? I guess, first of all, I'm just making sure everything's what it needs to be. And then after that, it's more corrective. And it's it's less preference sometimes, like, some EQ choices I make aren't because I think that it makes that PA sound better as a whole. It's that I know where my microphone and my lead vocal is going to sit, you know what I mean? And I, I know that I'm going to need some help, you know, keeping the PA stable, you know? And um, so I'll, I'll go in and, and I kind of know where those tweaks are going to be and I'll kind of expose those frequencies and see if um, I'm feeling anything bad that day. And I'll, I'll adjust from there. And, and honestly, even on the Midas, like I have my go-to frequencies where I know if that microphone starts not cooperating, like I know exactly where to go to, to make those quick cuts, you know? So it's really going to those, those problem areas and making sure that I'm going to, you know, be good that day. And, you know, like I said, the SE's job is to make it consistent every day. You know, like a good SE, you, you, you'll be able to walk through and, you know, not that you would want to use the same EQ from night to night to night, but, you know, a good SE can almost give you that choice. You know what I mean? Because it's, 
it's consistent every day, you know? So um, that, I, I don't mean to step on you. Um, no, you're all good. Hopefully I didn't cut you off, <laughs> but uh, do you reset your EQ night after night or do you leave it from every the night day. before and then, or so you start yeah. flat and then you start I sweeping start around? Flat. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I know the frequencies that I'm looking for, but I start flat every day, wow. you know, and, um, and, uh, I want to hear what the PA is where he started. And then I want to make sure that I'm hearing everything I need to hear to make those choices and not just going, well, it sounded good the night before, so it must be good tonight because that's not always the case, you know, and, and in, in you know, the higher level you're working with these SEs, like I said, you might be able to get to that world, but I don't ever want to trust that. You know what I mean? Like I want to go in there and hear it myself and know where it's at. You know, are you, are you the, the guy, like what I do typically is I'll play my reference music, whether it's a multi-track or a track that I want to listen to, and then I'll just start taking my frequencies and sweeping around or what's your technique for, uh, dialing in your yeah. EQ? No, I, I, yeah, I'll sweep it. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, I, you know, I, again, I know usually like I'll learn an SE or learn a system or whatever and, and know where I kind of need to be. So I'm already grabbing in the area I need to be. So it's not so much as like finding a problematic frequency that I'm not sure where it's at as much as it's like just reassuring myself, this is what I'm hearing and then kind of making the cut from there. And it's, it's also refreshing to the ears. Like I feel like like I can go in and if I'm cutting out 400, like I turn it up a little bit, even though I already know I want to cut it out just so my ears are focused on that frequency yeah. and then I bring it down, you know? Yep. That's a, that's a, a good trick. I learned that from Nick Rucker uh, with Steel Panther. He would do the same thing. He'd grab, you know, 315, every club we seem to play, every theater, 315 just seemed to be a nightmare, but he would still bring it up plus six DB and it'd be like, Oh, and then, you know, pull it down <laughs> nine DB and you're like, Oh, that sounds great. You know? So yeah. yeah, it's a good, good point. Yeah, dude, it gets your, it gets your ears focused on that frequency. So you're just, you're focusing on where you're making the cut. And, and that's, that's kind of my thought process behind it, at least anyways, I don't know if that's right or wrong. But makes sense to me. In my head, it makes sense. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. I, uh, I feel bad for you for sharing the same uh, positive thought there. So <laughs> um, so we're coming up on an hour. I try to keep these right around an hour. Um, mm -hmm. but man, I've really been enjoying this. Uh, when you're, when you're mixing your show, where are you really listening? What, what is your, the areas that you're really paying attention to that you want to make sure you've got dialed? Uh, I mean, vocals obviously, but are there, yeah. especially in the bigger arenas, do you find like the bass gets away from you more easily or more mid high frequency or where are the areas that you really have to focus on and, and make sure don't get crazy? Uh, clarity and low mids and lows. You know what I mean? That's a big one. And, you know, um, every one of us have heard it a million times before, you know, how crucial high passing and low passing is. But in an arena, it's more crucial. It's so much more crucial, even though you're on the better PA, even though you're on a consistent PA. Um you know, those PAs are going to point out any mistakes you're making a lot more like quicker, you know what I oh, mean? I it's going to be a way more apparent. So, um, you and know, a lot, and, a lot and, more people are looking at you when it happens. Yeah. You know, and, and over the years I've, you know, I've always high passed or used a high pass on every channel. There's not one channel on any of my inputs that doesn't have a high pass in some way. 
and and same with low pass like uh most of my stuff is going to have low pass and, and again it's it's creating the clarity you know in the vocals you don't want the cymbal wash there as much so you might low pass it and you know i've found myself even low passing now more so than i ever have like i'm talking like if i say this number some people might be like what the is this guy doing but you know i'm even down to six five six seven k you know wow. on, on low pass um it just really depends how much um you know symbol brilliance i'm gonna get into that microphone that day and and you'll be surprised if you play with it on like how much you can actually get away with you know and then even the high end on the guitars like i'm not using 16k in guitar you know what i mean like i don't need to waste that energy there in the PA, you know, and even low passing on guitar. Like I used to, you know, especially when you're starting out, you just, you know, like, Ooh, I want that sound of my guitars. And you realize it's, it's not the guitar that's doing that. It's the bass. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, high pass guitars, 180, 200, you know, wherever it needs to be. And it's, you, you try that and you'll be surprised how much clarity you're going to pick up in that low mids and, and even bass, you know, like I'm not leaving bass rolled off completely. Like, you know, I'm 60, 70 Hertz, you yeah. know what I mean? Even kick drum, you know, my kick out is at least 30, sometimes 40, you know what I mean? Like it's all about sculpting out a place for everything to sit, you know, and, and there's so much more high passing helps you with like, as far as that goes than people give it credit for, you know? Yeah. Are you doing any sort of a signal generation with your kick or anything like that like adding some 40 or some sub harmonics into it to get that real low energy or are you just doing straight kick yeah straight kick i i was messing around with uh uh what's that plug in the ways makes not rainbow what's uh uh i don't know my waves plugins that well yeah no um there is a uh, there is a plugin on Waves that I was using for a while that um, I I was trying to add that to kick and bass just to get that little oomph. Yeah, and I, I went back to EQing just like um, you know. Are you and, using two kick mics or how are you miking your kick? So with us, it's it's three signals. It's a kick trigger, ninety one, and D six. Yeah, and snare is uh well right now i'm using a 98 on the top of the snare and it's just because of how tight sean plays it's the only microphone it's not it's my favorite microphone on a snare top <laughs> don't you know but it gets the job done and it's something that's small enough that i can place where i need it to be you know have you used any of the dpa drum mics ever like the 4099s I haven't, but I've heard nothing but great things about them, and I really would love to try them. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I just can't justify spending, you know, $700 <laughs> a microphone. It's it's yeah. unbelievable how expensive those things are. Yeah, it's insane, but, you know, everybody that uses them just say that it's it's worth the money, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know the model number, but Jim Rose, our audio provider, he's uh, – He's talking about one of the DPA vocal mics. I don't know, I don't know what the model is, but he was uh, suggesting that on something we should try. It's it's the um, 2088. I just got it for Mixie. Um, it's uh, they make a capsule for the Sure transmitter if you're on wireless. Uh, mm -hmm. But the 2088 capsule is um, their live mic, and it is unbelievable at how well it rejects stage noise. Like yeah. it's almost like you have a PSE 
built into it. He he was supposed to send, he's got a couple capsules he was going to send out this summer with us. And here we are. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know when this is going to go live, but like today was the day that our, you know, tour in July that was starting, uh, got the final note for cancellation. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so awful. Yeah, we were I mean, we were supposed to be out with Sebastian Bach this spring. Um, today is we're recording this on May 18th, 19th, May 19th. Um, yeah, 19th. And we were supposed to be, you know, doing like incarceration with Metallica and, you know, all these crazy bands. And, Damn. you know, I <laughs> for me to go from, you know, mixing these little bar bands to, you know, being in a festival with Metallica, I was like. So excited, and then all of a sudden it's just like wah wah wah. Uh, yeah, dude, same here. Um, I was super stoked for this tour. I mean, the lineup was insane. Like Bush is another one of those bands that you know, I fucking high school man. They're yeah. just you know fucking Bush. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, I was really stoked on this tour. And Eric Rogers, I believe, was supposed to be on the tour. You had him on, but uh, he's supposed to be out with Saint Asonia on that yeah. tour, I believe. Yep. But uh. You know, so it was, dude, it was shaping up to be a fun tour. I had a K2 rig coming out from Brown Note and, you know, it's going to be a fun shed summer, you know, and here we are, man. I just, you know, it bums me out, you know, it's, uh, yeah. wish I had an answer. I knew when we were getting ready to go again, but, you know, unfortunately we're all in limbo right now. Yeah. I've heard some things and I, I don't want to say them on the podcast, but, um, I'm not making a lot of plans for 2020 just based on what I've heard with studies and whatnot. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I can't say 100% for sure that something might not pop up at the end of the year, but I'm not making any plans as far as touring for the rest of 2020. And, you know, um, I hope that we get started, you know, early 2021, but at the same time, you know, I know the band myself included, like everyone wants everybody to be safe, no matter what your stance is on everything. Um, you know, so once we get that nod, you know, I know we're just biting at the chomps to get back out there. You yeah. know? So hopefully it'll be soon, man. Hopefully we'll be in a good situation at the beginning of the year and we can all get back to, uh, to doing what we love to do. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, we're so lucky. We're unbelievably fortunate. And I, I, a day doesn't go by that I don't thank my lucky stars to be able to be either touring or doing stuff like talking to guys like you. It's, it's awesome, you know, trying to make the most of what we're dealt. Dude, absolutely. You couldn't have said it any better, man. I'm just, I'm very blessed to be where I'm at right now. Like, I don't even know sometimes how I ever made it to this position, but you know, it's, uh, dude, uh, you know, I'm living my dream job right now. Yeah. You know, I'm working for a band I love doing a job I love. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a big, huge bummer that, you know, that something like this is coming in the way of that, you know, especially when it's something you worked your whole life towards, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'll take us off of the uh, the downer subject of the coronavirus <laughs> and COVID. Um, Copy that. <laughs> let's, let's jump back to drums real quick uh, because we talked yeah. a little bit about your kick and your snare mics. Uh, what are you doing for toms and overheads? So, um, man, we we keep it we keep it pretty simple. You know, um, I want something that we can have backups and spares of relatively easy, and something that's easy to uh, switch in and out. Um, I'll hear people talk poorly about them all the time, but I, I use 904s on his kit because it's it's simple. Again, I have a lot of mounting issues because of how tight his kit is. So other mics that I might prefer aren't really ideal. You know what I mean? The 904s, you can really get in there and mount where you want to be. 
um, all of my toms and the side snare and the gong all have triggers on them, not for sound, but for a side chaining gate. Yeah. Um, again, he plays super tight. You know, it's, it's, I could sit there and tweak all day long and never get the gate right. Or we can throw a trigger on it, dial it up and it's there. Yeah. You know, so, um, 904s and triggers on all the toms for the side chain. Um, we're using, uh, M80SH on snare bottom on second snare. We're using M80SHs on top and bottom and, um, uh, 137s on hats and ride and, uh, 32s on overheads. Are you yeah. miking a lot of cymbals or are you just miking the hat, the ride, and then your overheads? He has two hi-hats, so I have a mic on each hi-hat. Um, I have a mic, uh, 137 on the ride. I have a 137 on his uh, cluster of splashes that he has, and then just the two KSM-32s as overhead. Are you doing anything crazy with polarity or uh, delay or anything like that on your on your mics? Yeah, man. So whenever you're mixing live microphones with triggers, there's always going to have to be some delay compensation there. And you're going to have to figure out what that math is. And every unit's a little bit different. You know what I mean? Um, Sean's using the Pearl. Uh, I forget the name of the actual unit, but it's the Pearl units, their flagship model of it. And there's about eight milliseconds of delay between like the, the, you know, the actual microphone snare top and, you know, when the trigger is actually triggering. Yeah. So, you know, my whole kit is delayed back to that snare, including overheads, including toms, everything so that it's, it's all cohesive when it comes out, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, you know, eight milliseconds might not sound like a lot to the lay person, but in the sound world, that's uh, significant. Yeah. You can hear the flam, man. Yeah. If, if I didn't do that, my snare would be constantly like, you yeah. know, it, it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't sit right with me at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, I know you guys probably don't play too many smaller theaters uh, these days, but are you, do you change any of those delay settings based on your, the size of the venue you're in? Um, you know what? Uh, not yet. Um, but you know, I know, we're supposed to be doing, I mean, I don't know if we're doing it at all, but the talk was, is that eventually we're going to be doing some acoustic shows to, uh, to, uh, you know, support the acoustic album that break Benjamin just put out. And, um, I think at that point in time, like I would just go back to using all microphones and try to make everything as organic as possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, the triggers are really there. It's, it's not my main source. It's there to fatten, you know, um, you know, Sean likes the snare to be very tight, you know what I mean? And I just want some more girth to the snare drum. Yeah. So the sample isn't like, it's not there to be my main sample. It's there to add that little bit of fatness that I would love from maybe a deeper tune snare, uh -huh. you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and that's how I use it. And, and the same with the trigger man on the kick, it's, it's there just to add the consistency, you yeah. know? And again, it's, it tends to be a lot of my attack in, in the, in the kick drum chain. Um, I am not boosting any high frequencies in my kick out or kick in microphones. Oh, you're not like doing like that, the 3k or that whole, no, nah, because the trigger's there to do it. You yeah. know, if, if I was just using kick in kick out, yeah, there'd be some stuff going on there, but I've always kind of subscribed to that subtractive EQing too. Like I might, before I boost high end in a kick drum, I might take a little bit more of that four or 500 out to see if 
I, you know, I balance it out that way, you know? Um, so I definitely don't try to add EQ if it's, if it's not necessary, you know, and I will try to remedy it without doing it, you know, but you know, it's kick drum toms. It's their easy microphones just to go right to. And whether you're 3k to 10k or anywhere in between, you know, everyone's got their own flavor, you know, you're able to go in there and, uh, figure out what works best for you. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that is absolutely accurate uh it's funny i with decker from stitched up heart he tunes his drums his snare is tuned so high and i i talked to him the first couple of nights of doing sound for them and i was like dude your snare hurts like it is so bright and he's like perfect that's what i want i'm like yeah i'm like oh god and and that's a conversation you got to take into account too because what you want and what they want might be two different things and like earlier you brought into the conversation it's like you know, these dudes have been working for their tones or their, their sound their whole life. You know what yeah. I mean? So if, if a drummer wants that nice tight snare, you know, then like, you know, um, you know, you need to, you need to hear to that, even if it's not your favorite, but with Sean, his, his reasoning is because he likes the, the recoil on the snare, you know what I mean? Um, and it helps him play, you know, where he needs to be. And, but at the same time, he wants that sound of that low tune snare. He wants that fat shotgun sounding you know snare drum yeah and him and i are both on that same page which is why the trigger is something that he's not against you know what i mean yep yeah well hey uh we ran quite long here we're almost an hour (laughs) and 15 minutes but the the time flew by i say that with every podcast uh but this was just absolutely fascinating and really truly enjoyable um, would you, uh, I'd love to have you back on another, uh, podcast, maybe sit in on a round table with Alex and the guys. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm committing you to it. I had to get it on tape. That's why. I yeah. No. Dude, any, any chance to kick it with my friends. I'm all about Coolio. All right. Well, Hey, uh, I'll put up some links for people to find you online, uh, through social media so they can see what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. one of my favorite posts was, I think, uh, RPM had done a rig rundown of your, uh, pro X rig for yeah. breaking. <laughs> Jim did a very, Jim did a very extensive rundown on it. And it's dude, like I, again, Jim shout out. If you happen to hear this man, like, thank you for everything that you did, man. That's, it's my dream rig. Like I'm, I'm getting to mix on my dream rig and, I, I hope to transition into the new heritage soon. Like I really want to see what that desk is all about, you know? So, <laughs> all right, we're going to go a couple minutes longer. Have you, uh, <laughs> have you, uh, have you had a chance to play on the heritage at all? So, um, you know, uh, Chase brought the desk to Houston on his little tour of the desk he did. Um, and uh, I got to kind of check out the desk a little bit there, but I've yet to run audio through it. But man, I've any any information that's on the desk right now, like I've I've already been digesting, you know, like yeah. um, there's a lot of cool new effects, you know, that are going to be on it. Like, I love the fact that there's going to be distressors in it and, you know, and, and, you know, they've got their own multiband compressor now built into it. Oh, cool. Um, I love that. Um, what are all some of the good stuff? Um, the variable phase control on it. I love that it's not just 180 in or out, you know what I mean? That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you bust to bus now. So you're able to do any of that routing that you want to do, which, which I do plan on doing. Like I do want to take it that next step further and get a band bus and a vocal bus before I hit my master, you know? So that'll be the next step in the, in the, 
in the I, scene. I blame Pooch for this bust a bust stuff because, uh, you know, ever since the pandemic hit and he started, you know, doing his podcast with, uh, Raybold, you know, and now all of a sudden everybody's talking about bus to bus to bus to bus. Yeah. And it's, uh, Dude. it's, it's interesting and it got me wanting to do it on the D live, but you can't very easily. Yeah. And I mean, I would, there's, there's ways around it and, and I could do it on a pro X right now if I wanted to, you know, patch my buses to my input channels and then patch those or, and then route those back to another bus. I mean, there is a way that I can do it, but Again, man, like I said earlier in this, like I like to try to keep things as simple from point A to point B as possible, you know, yeah. with as, as little detours in between, you know, um, the waves, plugins, all that stuff's adding latency already. I'm already inducing latency from the drums. So take and take, do the math from what I'm doing to the drums and then add in the, you know, the plugins I'm using and, you know, it's, it, and, you know, it, it, it becomes audible, you know, so, um, you know, I, I again, I want to keep it as simple as possible, but I, I am excited about that. That's something I've always wanted to be able to do. Again, I know a lot of people do uh, kick, you know, kick bus, snare bus, Tom's bus, and it's awesome, you know. But like, I, I on the Midas, I'm able to do what I need to do there on the VCAs, and I much rather prefer to have those, you know, that stereo drum group, that stereo yeah. smash group, and that stereo cymbal group. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought I was doing stuff wrong because I started watching all these podcasts. And I'm like, oh, I've been I, for 30 years. I've been doing this wrong, and it just it's a different <laughs> way to do the same thing, you know. And, and Dude, everybody yeah, has their own and, flavor. And there, there's no right or wrong. I mean, if the end result is awesome, then you're doing it right. Well, in my <laughs> case, it's I mean? not awesome. I, I have a long ways to go. So. <laughs> you and you and I both, but you know, we'll figure that out one of these days. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, for your sake, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain you've got it figured out way better than I do, but uh, oh, you know, we'll, Thank get, you. we'll get there. So, <laughs> all right, Brian, uh, let's put a, let's put a wrapper on this and call it good. And uh, I'm definitely going to hold you to the commitment to, uh, to jump in on a round table with Alex and the guys, because I think it would be absolutely fascinating to, trade stories and experiences. Absolutely, dude. Count me in. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to bid you farewell. Uh, thank you again for your time today. And yeah, let's let's hope we're out touring together uh, before too long because this is, podcasts are fun, but not as fun as being at a live show. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to get back out there and hopefully we'll be sharing the road soon. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again. Uh, and I hope to see you very soon. Awesome. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Sure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 